Let's now turn to our text for today, which comes from Exodus 23. Exodus 23, verses 20 to 25. I'll actually read to the end of the passage just to give a little bit of the bigger picture. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to them, to, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possess the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So far, the reading of God's word. Beloved in the Lord, maybe you have heard of an early heretic in Christian history named Martian. Martian taught an opposition between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was an angry God of the Old Testament whom the loving God of the New Testament superseded. And even though the church rejected his teaching, there remains what we could call a semi-Martianite approach to the Old Testament in many churches. This approach tends to discount or neglect the teaching of the Old Testament. Even among the Reformed, we can discern this attitude. We can oppose Old Testament law to New Testament grace or look exclusively to the New Testament to order our worship and life. Now, it's important to see here that we can miss, too, how radically Christ changed things. There is a side where we must grasp the greater intensity of the reality of God that is presented to us in the New Testament. 
Whereas the glory of God in the Old Testament is veiled with darkness. Think of Mount Sinai. Yes, fiery, but surrounded by gloom and darkness. The New Covenant, on the other hand, gives us light and nearness. However, it is important to understand that the people of God in the Old Covenant had the same substance that we have today. The same salvation that we have today. And even though the order of the church is simpler, we have the preaching of the word and two sacraments, whereas Israel had many sacraments, we both partake of and follow Christ. The revelation of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament gives us an idea of what Old Covenant saints partook of in the Old Covenant. The time of Israel in the wilderness is in fact used as one of the primary pictures in the New Covenant to teach us what it is to live as the body of Christ. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, The Lord sends the Lord before you. First, listen to his voice, and second, follow him to victory. In our Exodus passage today, God has just gone through what is sometimes called the Book of the Covenant. That's Exodus 20 through 23. Beginning with the Ten Commandments and then following that, now speaking only to Moses with a number of laws that are connected with the Ten Commandments. And at the end of that section, God turns to the care that he promises for his people as he leads them through the wilderness and into the land. He says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Now, if we're reading through this for the first time, we would immediately say, That doesn't say the angel of the Lord. That could be any angel. How do we know that this is the angel of the Lord? There are clues in what we read. A little little later, this angel is called my angel by God. And the people are to listen to his voice as if he was God. He is God's presence among the people. But what especially tells us that this angel is unique is that a little later in chapter 33, after Israel has sinned against God through the golden calf, God again says he will send an angel among them, but he himself will not be among them. And at this the people mourn when they hear this from God. They know that this is not God's special angel Moses responds to the Lord by pleading with him that his presence would go up with Israel. And this all suggests that this angel in Exodus 23 is God's presence. This is the anointed one in his angelic form long before he shared in our flesh and blood. Christ is looking over the very people he will be a descendant of. I'll draw you to Hebrews 1, where we're told, Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God 
and the exact imprint of his nature. This angel is God's presence among the people. This angel that is so closely identified with God and is to be treated as God is, in fact, the pre-incarnate Christ. And this reality is what makes Paul so confident in how he talks in 1 Corinthians 10. We might wonder at his confidence at talking about the rock who followed Israel, and that rock was Christ. He assumes that what he is about to say is obvious to his listeners. And sometimes our semi-Martianite instincts can make us avoid the significance of what he is saying. Israel was baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. The cloud that followed Israel is, of course, a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord. They ate spiritual food. He's probably talking about manna, for Christ himself identifies that as the bread of life in John 6. They drank the spiritual drink. And Paul is explicit here. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. The people of Israel participated... That same word that's at the end of, of uh, 1 Corinthians, at the end of our reading from 1 Corinthians 10, Israel participated in the pre incarnate Christ. The suggestion to the Corinthians and us today is actually how much more we have. Sometimes Christians can look at the mighty deeds God did among Israel and envy the people of Israel. This is somewhat silly, for the purpose of Christ is to bring us to closer to bring us closer to God than ever before. We are baptized into Christ, not Moses. We experience a Lord who has taken on our flesh, who knows what we are like. And God has taken this man into his throne room so that many sons and daughters may follow. The substance itself is the same. It's Christ. The Israelites partook of Christ in the hope of the promise. We participate in Christ as flesh and blood so that we may be formed into men and women moved by the Spirit of God. In the New Covenant, however, there is a greater simplicity and a greater power in what is given to the church. There's a greater intensity and nearness to God as the veil is gone. For Christ's flesh is now the veil. Sometimes theologians will speak of how there is a new degree of spirituality in the new covenant. There's much truth to this as now all the people of God have equal access to the spirit of God. Gentiles too, any ethnicity may have access to the spirit of God and the baptism of God. But at the same time, there's a new humanness to the new covenant. The new covenant is more human than the old covenant. It's no longer declared by angels, but by the man, Jesus Christ. And this makes the warning of the covenant even more intense as well. Pay careful attention to his, I'm back in Exodus 23 again, pay careful attention to his, the angel's voice, do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is with him. 
my name, my, we can think of, my presence is with him. We know what happened to Israel. It didn't take long, even after this moment, for Israel to play the whore. As Moses was upon the mountain visiting and learning with God to relay that to the people, the people of Israel set up a golden calf. They were punished. They repented and were restored. But if we keep on reading, they sin again, and they sin again, and they sin again, until we have the reality that Paul relates in 1 Corinthians 10. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Israel finally refused to go into the land out of fear of the giants, and God condemned everyone over 20, apart from two men, to die in the wilderness. Paul warns that we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. The temptation here, as it was so for Israel, and is clearly the temptation in Corinth, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, and continues to be for us today, is idolatry and sexual immorality. The Catechism is helpful in its definition of idolatry. Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. We might think that we are safe from idolatry because we don't see many idols. But the truth is we often slip into thinking along the lines of this world. The idol of self. The idol of technology and science, the idol of democracy and the crowd, the idol of the elites and the wisdom of this world. So, warns Paul, if you think you stand, check yourself. It's good advice, too, in those moments when we approach a place where there might be temptations. In the movies, in a crowd you might be hanging out with. In the decisions you make in life where you think you might be the exception. So listen. Listen to God in Christ. The word listen here is the same sense of what a mother says to a child. Hear it and obey. You want both. If you obey without really listening, it becomes something you do with your own strength. If you hear it without taking it in and seeking the righteousness of God, your hearing is useless. And remember whom you are listening to. The same Christ who offers himself to you as a mercy seat and a hope for salvation when you do sin. He is there not just to boss you, but he gives you his protection and his guidance if you are willing to seek him. That brings us to our second point. Follow him to victory. If you carefully obey my voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. How do we know that God is for us if we're seeking after his righteousness? When Joshua meets the commander of of the Lord, another manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ, he asks, are you for us or for our adversaries? The commander of the Lord says, no, as if, if to say it's not really about that. 
It's whose side you are on that matters. In some ways, the result is obvious. If we do what the Lord loves, if we love our Lord and do his commandments, then the enemies we have will also be the Lord's enemies. Now, we need to understand this call to obedience within the covenant that God's forming with his people. The people of God were still full of sin. What they were called to do is to use the sacrifices in the tabernacle that God has given to them, to them so that they might serve him. To bring those sacrifices to God. Of course, as the Psalms point out, it's important that they do that with a heart that's filled with a sacrifice of praise as well. It's the same for us. Christ has given us a sacrifice in himself on the cross, and our obedience begins by taking hold of that sacrifice through faith in Jesus Christ. You believe in your heart and are justified, and that immediately expresses itself in the public proclamation of Christ as saving Lord with your mouth. Of course, the obedience discussed here is only possible through faith in the promise, for the sacrificial system cannot take away sin. That comes in Christ when the angel of the Lord takes on flesh and in the flesh goes before us and conquers sin and death and Satan. Similarly, with our obedience before the Lord, we place our trust in his sacrifice and that faith naturally works itself out in good works. If we do that, if we pursue a faith that works itself out in love, we can be confident that Christ goes before us as he's pictured in Revelation 19 on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth to slay. Slay in that part of Revelation means to bring to faith, to pierce with the word so that men die to themselves and live to God. If Israel lives in faith before God, her wars are ultimately won by Christ. That's because, in a sense, her war is, first of all, with her own self, with her own heart. It's the same for us, our wars with our own heart. And now Christ has gone before us and has definitively conquered the principalities and powers of this world. And in this sense, physical holy wars are no longer necessary, but the war against ideologies and darkness that continue to keep people under their power continues. And when we do experience victory, there's another warning in our text. When my angel goes before you and brings brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Victory can make us passive so that we forget God. Think of the Corinthians again. They have celebrated the victory of the cross, which has undermined the authority of all demonic powers. And yet the Corinthians, for various reasons, probably mostly status, continue to flirt with the authority of demons. Another example, God granted Christians victory in the Roman Empire, and they turned to idols. 
God granted Christians victory in the West, and they turned to modern idols. The situation Israel will have in the Promised Land also reflects our situation today. Joshua won the major battles. From that, Israel, in faithfulness, in faithfulness was to bring all the land under the dominion of God. Our Lord Jesus, Jesus, of course, is a form of, of the name Joshua, also won the main battle, and his church is called to bring all things under his dominion. In this way, we've, we've had Christian nations, but no nation has been fully Christianized. Those that assume that they are are quickly proven false. I would go further. There's no visible, like, like, like Redeemer Church here, that is fully Christianized. Paul says, I preach that Christ may be formed in you. And that is a forming that is continual as we continue to confront sin both within my own heart and without. Within my own church and without. That's why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We build on this foundation of Christ's work. You shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and water. And the passage goes on to describe all the benefits the people of God will have in their trust of God. And that's the heart of it. Flee from idolatry and cling to Christ. Because Christ will never fail you. He was with the people of God in the Old Testament, guarding them on the way, feeding them, and leading them to victory. He is with us in a much closer and more intimate way. All of us may be priests in his temple, entering his, the holy places, eating the holy food. He guards, he protects, he feeds, and he leads to victory. He will bring you home. He is your savior, and now is the day of salvation. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing in response from Psalm 105, verses 14 and 15.